0: Merry Christmas! By order of the Peaky Blinders, welcome into our spoiler-free podcast, breaking down every single episode of the 1920s family gang drama on Netflix and BBC. I'm your host,
1: Daniel Gilman. And I'm Josh Levy. This is the first episode of the fourth season, a phenomenally done season. Three and four go hand-in-hand together, I think, perfectly. I am very excited to break down this season because we got some new
0: characters... The Americans are involved, and for the first time, Stephen Knight has named his episode. So we have name. This one's called "The Noose." I think it's pretty aptly named. Oh, it's perfect. You
1: can't can't have a better name of an episode because the way we start off is basically how we were left last season. And Stephen Knight, in a lot of his seasons, has huge time jumps and huge time loops. But nope, we're 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 pretty close to where we were last year. We think.
0: Yeah, it's it's not it's not too bad. I, you know, I got a little bit of a uh, little bit of math going on later. I have I, I calculated that, so we'll get to that in a little bit. But first, go ahead and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash peaky podcast. Follow us on Twitter at by Order of peaky. Click subscribe. We have so many of you guys loyal subscribers. I want you guys to go like us and review us on the bottom of the pages. Give us a couple stars, as many as you think are necessary write us a review we've got a couple good reviews on there and you could send us your feedback via email at bootpeakyblinders at gmail.com and josh this episode the highest reviewed non-finale according to imdb with a 9.5 directed by david caffrey
1: this i mean if you really think about it so much happens in this episode right off the bat and we're used I couldn't to remember i know and it's like we're used to like things like you know we're used to Stephen Knight laying, you know, planting seeds to develop plots, but he does not back off, throwing in a lot of action, throwing a lot of unexpected things. I was not expecting some things to happen. I wasn't expecting John's death, to be honest. Maybe I thought eventually it was going to come, but at that moment, I was like, It was brutal. I didn't man. think it
0: at all. It was sad. I didn't think John, I didn't think Michael would go. I mean, the description is at Christmas time, 1925 members of the fractured Shelby family get word that the New York Mafia The Mafia is coming to avenge murders that they committed a year ago and so we we start with you know all the flashbacks to season three and just that final scene when Tommy has everyone else arrested and Tommy is standing all alone and then we open it with a noose the name of the episode and then uh, multiple nooses. As we see that all four of, of the uh, Shelby's and Greys are set to be hanged, Arthur's going crazy. Michael's sitting there just arguing about how the fact that they have an, an, an appeal set for January, so we know it's it's somewhere around December time. They said they tell us Christmas time, and uh, John is uh, John's delusional. Polly is is off the off the rails. How much time do you think has passed between the robbery? And, you know, obviously John has a beard now, so there's some time that's passed with them. I assume Arthur's kid's been born. I, I mean, it's really hard to tell,
1: because they look very disheveled, like they've been there for a minute. But I don't think it's been that
0: long. I would probably say maybe, like, a couple months. Is that... I don't know. That's what I thought, too. Six months maximum. Um, because we find out at the nick of time, it's Maester Lewin who comes in to save May the day. Maester
1: Lewin, man. I was... Dude, they love using Thrones guys here. I want. I really wonder with like you know when the when these episodes were airing, if they were like we need like we like the cast of Thrones, let's let's throw them in there because they seem to do that.
0: Bro, we have learned that nobody is more loyal than HBO. That's true. That and true. and HBO, I'm sure, put some work in with BBC and said, hey, you know these guys, we used them in in Europe and and they're good. And we've seen Dagmar Kleftjaw, we've seen Locke, we've seen now. Maester Lewin here is, as he calls the king, the reason why, and I don't think I caught this the first watch through, the reason why he, he sets him free is because Tommy ended up snagging a letter that was written to the Grand Duke Petronov from King George, and I, I screenshotted it. It congratulated the Grand Duke on his struggle to fighting the Soviets, saying that the explosion of the railroad was a magnificent operation, and the Soviets will be fractured now, and so obviously Tommy said that he'll burn that if they let his family free and they name him an OBE which we talked about this a little bit in the season 5 uh, stuff it's an official honor from the crown awarded to a civilian of high regard in his local duties in exchange for burning the evidence and so that's what that's what Tommy gets and so then we move forward a full year into christmas time as the as the black hand gets delivered to all of them
1: the black hand you 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 don't want to be dealt the black hand and it's just we're going to we're going to be introduced to the villain of all villains in my opinion and Luca Changretta in this episode and i mean if you watch the godfather the black hand and you know receiving messages and the horse head in the godfather and the black hands basically the same thing like you're next like like you're you're on the list and so tommy right away realizes that things are going to hit the shit's going to hit the fan right away and i mean we we see Luca Changretta in this episode entering the states He's 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 trying to seek revenge. We know, and Adrian Brody, man, showing that this. That, I mean, Peaky Blinders brings in the best of the best. Adrian Brody is a phenomenal actor. He won. He was nominated for an Oscar in. He won. He won, he won okay. an Oscar.
0: He won the the Oscar, which is you know best lead actor or actress for The Pianist.
1: Okay, so yeah, that's actually a phenomenal movie. He was. He's been in so much, so many other things. We can go on and on, but he's a phenomenal actor, and it's so interesting to see him play this. You know, New York Italian, you know, thick, thick, thick accent. And if, I mean, there's a lot of peaky Redditors out there that hate his accent with a passion. They cannot stand the accent, but
0: I think it's good. I, I mean, I, I, as an American, I think he sounds like a New York it's, Italian. It's very, you know it's I mean? very
1: Marlon Brando esque from The Godfather. It's really well done. It talks like this. Yeah, yeah, I'm Luca Cingrato. Right yep. So,
0: and so we, we also see one of his main, um, Assistants come through too in customs where, where they kind of say, you know, are you Italian He goes, I'm American and I'm here for pleasure. And then at the very end, Michael gets sent to go uh, oh, to go get John and, and bring him in and asme doesn't want to be a part of the family. she wants to fight on their own And uh, Michael says we're not the peaky blinders until we're unless we're together and that's when it happens. And the guys in the carriage they, they show him for a half of a second. I don't know if you remember the scene but they do show them riding that carriage in they front do. of the house, John's house. He like, and and, and, and and John gets, John gets plunked like eight times. Right. And
1: let's talk about what we, I mean, basically, I mean, I think the last episode that we talked about and the same thing with, with two, six and split seconds being like being split seconds off. If Michael had gotten there like seconds before he might've been able to save him because he knew that something was, was like, he was like, get out of here. Get out of here. Like, like, or, you know, he was like warning him. If he was like five, maybe like a minute earlier, John would be saved.
0: Or if John didn't just like have sex with Esme so much that they were in a deep sleep <laughs> and weren't able to answer Tommy's phone call, Tommy wouldn't have sent Michael basically having both of them shot. Michael didn't even have a gun. He was just a sitting duck and he took a couple ones. Right. Um, I, those, I mean, that's that's the main part. Like that's that is the main thing of this episode. There were a few more things that we could talk about, but that, I mean, that's it. John and Michael get shot in the first episode of the fucking season, and we don't even get the black hand until the 26-minute mark, because when we fast-forward a year, it goes to December 23rd, 1925. John and his doggies are having a good time, Arthur and his flow, and his son Billy and his eggs. Polly is an absolute crazy person, And, uh, and Tommy is the Scrooge. He literally is the Scrooge on Christmas
1: he's I mean Lizzie's trying to get Tommy to be with the family be all together go to Christmas at John's and Tommy's not having it there's obviously been no contact between the families between Tommy and the rest of his family since I mean for the past year it seems like so that's kind of like filling in the lines there which Stephen Knight does to throw that in there but I mean you're right like Stephen Knight does not hold back in this episode and he doesn't hold back in this season which uh which which we will see but I'm I, I was so sad to see John go. I was I was more sad to see John go than I was Grace and I didn't think I was gonna be more sad to see anybody go and oh and, and
0: it's devastating.
1: The the most sad part about it is that it was all his fault. And
0: Yep, just like Rob Stark, honestly.
1: Right. And it's like to his detriment. His his, his hubris and his pride and his ignorance and his stubbornness got the best of him. And karma—it's like karma is a bitch. Karma comes back to to, eat, to bite you in the ass. And karma bit him in the ass. Did I think he deserved to die? I mean, no, not at all. Do I think he—do des- I think that like it was his fault? One hundred percent. And so it's so frustrating because I love, love, love Joe Cole, and, we're, uh, and we don't—we don't get to see him again. And it, and one thing else that Stephen Knight does here differently than other deaths is doesn't leave open the possibility that he may be alive. Oh he no, is he dead. got he got shot he like eight times in the right. chest. Like he, it was a, it was like the slow motion like where the blood's like flying out of his chest and he's like his face just goes limp and he falls to the floor, plops to the floor, Esme's distraught and Michael gets plunked too. And I mean
0: Yeah, we don't know if Michael's dead for sure, but we know that he is pretty well injured and uh and we know that Tommy <laughs> we can go back to what I wanna go back to which we're talking about with Lizzie and Tommy's been just He's had his pick of the horse, oh, Maria yeah. and Clara and Elizabeth, and he wants a different one for Christmas. And Lizzie tells him that there's going to be a New Year's Eve party at John's. And Lizzie says, "Bring your children. Everyone likes children. Also, if you want, you could bring a lump of coal." So we ma- she makes a little Scrooge joke there, which I thought was awesome.
1: Right, right. I mean, right. It is important for for Tom or Charlie to to be like to to know his cousins and his family. Like that's what she cares about. Like. He deserves to know his family but
0: yep and uh and and telling tommy how, how miserable she must be and tommy says which is my line of the episode sex freedom whiskey sours which one should i give up first lizzie it's i mean it's his
1: sarcasm is so on point and you can tell just tommy is battling with inner demons here and he's been battling with those demons for probably a year now he's not happy and it's just, it's it's been a downward spiral for him.
0: Okay, let's do the math now. So I mentioned Christmas time. I misspoke. Christmas time is when they fast forwarded. I don't think it was December when they were up in shackles. Although it could have been because they said one year later. So maybe it was December. So let's do math and find out the difference between the robbery at the end of season three and this beginning of season four. So remember when Tommy and Linda talked about right. the timing? So Tommy said the robbery would be in June. And Linda said the baby was due in September, so does that make him in prison for six six ish months? Because June to December. I would probably anticipate that. I mean,
1: it's so hard to tell. Kind of, it's like open to our interpretation. But I would say that's, that's a good guess. I mean, like from four to
0: anywhere from like four to six months. Yep, and so that means that means that, that Arthur missed the birth of Billy.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's devastating. Which, which, which if that's true, like we I mean we don't get like they don't mention it. No. They don't, so we don't get clear on that; it's just kind of open to our interpretation. But that would be sad. That'd be sad.
0: Arthur has uh, epic, epic quotes, and I know you texted me that this one was your favorite one. So I'll go over a few of them, and you can tell me which one's your favorite from Arthur, okay? Because he's got awesome ones. My, my favorite of him is probably when uh, when Ada says a- Ada's talking to him, and she has to give him the gun after she visits, and they find out about the red, the the black hand. And Ada says, "Hug me, please. You know, you show pretend that, like you're emotional." And Arthur says, I, I am I am emotional. I just don't fucking know what emotion it is. Yeah, he's it's
1: it's true. Like he <laughs> he's gone through there's so many different emotions at all times for these characters, and he's gone through so much that he doesn't know like if it's happy, sad, you know, like he 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 angry. So it's a funny quote from Arthur and he's just his flow is on point.
0: Yep, and you know, right when we see him and Linda's talking about how happy he is, and I was not doing anything. Uh, and Arthur's like, "I want to open a garage." And, a garage. and Linda's like, "No, no, 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 because uh, car cars can uh, can or garages and cars can can draw in people with bad intentions." And he's like, "Yeah, but I want to open the garage." <laughs> and John John hits John hits Ada with everyone's like Ada's like the the character avatar for this episode because she's popping around everywhere. And Ada says, how's Arthur? And John says, for Christmas, get him a sewing kit so he could sew his balls back on. Perfect John line. Like, I wouldn't expect this
1: from anyone else but John. It was just the perfect, perfect line for John to drop so he could sew his balls back on. Like, so funny. Linda's, Linda's definitely, Linda's made him go soft, for sure.
0: Yeah, but I like her. She's good for him because we know that he can really spin off. I'd rather this Arthur than the one who tried to hang himself from a noose. In season one, right? I mean, not. It's pretty ironic.
1: It's pretty ironic, and he's Arthur still lives, man. He fucking lives.
0: And but how could I forget the epic scene with the cocky sous chef and and Tommy figuring out when he asks the Mary, the her his loyal, you know, head head servant head maid to you know make room for twenty seven people because he invites Tommy and the whole gang for for Christmas dinner and and apparently this this annoying brand new Italian chef. Is is very very persistent, Antonio. and uh, I don't know what the chef's name is. Antonio is the sous chef, and so Tommy kind of clicks it all together and goes down into the basement, and kind of tries to shake the hand of the chef. And he goes, "My hand is all bloody." His hand is literally inside of a of an animal. Tom goes, "It's okay. My hand has blood. My mine hand has blood also." And then we figure out that Sabini ended up planting the chef into Tommy's mansion, and the sous chef is from America and he's a he's an assassin and Tommy takes him takes him to a fucking class.
1: Yeah, I mean this was pure Tommy Shelby intuition, knowing things. He I mean he he knew he was like he was testing him. He gave him, you know, like 10 pounds, you know, for for his work and whatnot. And the guy like kind of like doesn't a normal sous chef would be like Thrilled that they just right. got ten pounds, like that means the world to them. And he was like, "Oh, this guy is clearly not just a regular sous chef. He's he he would have he would have shown emotion. So right away he knew that something was up. And he starts testing him. He's like, "What's your name?" He's like, "Antonio." Like whatever. To ask him all his questions, and then the other chef, he he tells him that he'll dress him like that stag up there, and there's there's blood all over the place. And this scene was, it was it reminded me of the scene with uh, Vincente in season three a little bit where. He, he goes mad. He's kind of going mad here. He's paranoid and he's, and I don't blame him for being paranoid after all that's going on. So it was a beautifully acted scene by Killian Murphy and adding to that, to that reason why this, this episode got a, got a very high rating.
0: I also liked that Mary asks two or three times about the timing. And every time Tommy's like, he, Killian Murphy does a great job acting here. He's like, Whatever. I mean, they're just fucking crazy men and and they'll come whenever they want and they'll bring children. And, you know, with the Lee men, they might even have children born on the floor. So just bring a mop and a a bucket. And it felt like when when you finally invite the cool kids over for dinner and your mom is asking, what time are they going to be here? And you're like, Mom, I don't know. They're just cool. They just show up whenever.
1: Right. And then I think this is the episode also where Mary, is that the next episode?
0: Yeah, no, it's right here. Oh, okay, I, I didn't know. When he when he um, invites Mary to dinner with
1: him. Right, and then she's like, finally, like, and it's like, while he's like, thinking intently about something, and she's like, by the way, I've accepted your invitation to sit with you at dinner, and he's like, he's like, right, thank you.
0: All right, well, it's when he finally figures out that the Italian chef was, right. was sent to him, and it's all clicking for him, and it's terrible timing for Mary.
1: Right, like, she like, is super excited, she's like, really, she really wants to reveal to him that she's going to sit with him at dinner, and he's like, kind of like, okay, like, I don't care, like, bye, I need to figure this out like brushes her off. So I kind of felt bad for her, but I mean, good for Mary.
0: We then see a great line and a great conversation with Tommy and Johnny dogs as Johnny, the dog. I've got my quote of the episode for JD Johnny saying, you know, maybe you could pick up some geese on your way back. This is after that. He kills the uh, sous chef. And, and Johnny's like on the way back, where? And he's like, we're going back to small Heath. And Johnny goes back where you belong. Tude step bang, gal, Romani, show, Tommy, and that's uh, that's Romani for you're the wild gypsy boy forever, Tommy.
1: <laughs> Johnny Dog has a way with words, man. He has a way with words, and they're going back to Small Heath, and Johnny Dog is excited.
0: And on the way out, Charlie yells, "Mommy!" and and Tommy makes sure to grab Grace's picture, and I really liked that too. They're heading back, and and they're all they're all going to head back. We see how broken Polly is throughout this episode. Michael throws away her meds. Ada's trying to fix her. I think it's very convenient that uh, Tommy wants them all to be together because we even get a scene when Michael says something or Polly says something to Tommy and he's like, it was a present. He has a present for Tommy. And Tommy's like, what is that, a time machine? So he obviously regrets what he did.
1: Right. I mean, Tommy's going to have to live with with that regret for, for, for a while. And I mean, his whole family has a vendetta towards... I mean, not a vendetta, but they have a hatred towards him right now. He doesn't make any attempt to try to salvage the situation and so he's just let letting it hang over his conscience. So I mean, I really don't know what his end game and what his end goal is here. But I mean he's he's all alone and he's gonna stay lonely unless he makes an attempt to fix it.
0: And then the last little side story to start this season that could, you know, grow a little bit is we, we we find out again that Michael is back on Tommy's side. Even though he went to jail, he doesn't matter. He's still a part of the of the uh, business. He's still doing cocaine, and Tommy's not too thrilled with it. But he lets Tommy know that this woman named Jessie Eden is causing a stir. So you might remember that name from last season. This was the 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 strike leader that you know propelled all of the uh, all of the women in the Shelby Company Limited to go on strike. Linda and Polly, and and then we meet Jessie Eden. She's a real life heroin from Brummy, a bad bitch with confidence demanding equal pay for men and women wire cutters. But what does Tommy do? Tommy just fires right back.
1: Tommy cuts off the pay of men and she uses the men's bathroom because no woman get that high up.
0: Yeah. It was a great scene when it's when some guy walks in and she's like, well, there's no women laboratory. And if there's no laboratory on this floor, then I can use yours. And so that, that cutting of the pay to men And rising the women's up five shillings and cutting the men five shillings is like, okay, fine. You want to be responsible for all these men not being able to get their family's Christmas presents? There's that. And so I have a feeling that's not the end that we're going to see of of Jesse Eden. And so, um, you know, two big things in this episode. Both of them came pretty late. I think it was a little too – if I have one little quip about this, it was a little too cute in the beginning. Of course, it's like their hand is on the – is on the switch that's a little too disney for me for when the people come in to cancel the the hanging.
1: I totally agree with you it was like way too it, it wasn't you know that it wasn't the peaky blinders game no, of thrones. No, I know,
0: but it didn't have to be at the very last second. You know, like they could have called it could have called an hour before or something. If
1: it was a game of thrones peaky blinders they would have all hung for their sins but and Tommy would have to live live on hang hanged hanged whatever. And
0: I think I just feel like they're they're it's just like, what is it? The sixth time we've seen someone say in the bleak midwinter and then they didn't die. I
1: know. I know, And we, I mean, yeah. And it's, it's like whenever you hear that saying, it's like, okay, we know they're not going to die, I guess. (laughs) But, and it's, it's just crazy because all that happened in this episode from them almost, you know, being hanged and whatnot. I mean, Polly talks about seeing spirits when she was in, when she was in that, in that noose and, I mean, just imagine what they were feeling at that moment. Like they, like they, the, the acting at that moment in that scene was tremendous to make it seem like they were freaking the FL. And they, you know what I mean? Yep. They weren't just like sitting there, like eh, whatever. I met my maker here. They were like legitimately freaking out and shaking and 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 whatnot. So it was really well done. But we all had a smidgen of an idea knowing that they were not gonna, they were not gonna die.
0: Okay, so we flipped it around. Those are our nitpicks. Now we can do winners and losers. I couldn't really i mean I had a tough time finding a winner in this episode, so I'm going small for my winners and my losers because obviously everyone who almost died is a loser, and then those who did die at the end are losers but i'm going I'm going merry with my winner here, Josh, because she okay. has been so loyal to Thomas Shelby, finally, she gets rewarded a little bit by Tommy acknowledging her hard work, inviting her to have a seat at the at the the important Christmas dinner. That yeah, might probably won't happen now, but still, gotta love Mary. She was the one that Tatiana said was in love with Tommy. She probably is in love with Tommy, and she's my winner.
1: That's a good winner. She finally gets to see the table. Do you think she's in love with Tommy, like, actually?
0: Yeah, obsessed.
1: I mean, I don't know if there's, like, a... Uh, she thinks he's mad. I think she thinks she's, like, fucking psychotic sometimes. She's, like, yeah. kind of scared of him.
0: But I think she's in love with him, or else she wouldn't stay.
1: I mean, she probably gets she probably gets compensated pretty nicely, but... Yeah, she she uh she she finally gets to see the table. She's excited to tell Tommy. So that's a pretty good winner. She has been loyal. My winner is going to be Luca Chingreta because the hardest ob- obstacle to get overseas was to get through that port and whatnot. And he's 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 on their turf now, and he's got got men settled everywhere. He sends the Black Hand. He's intimidating the Shelby's, and it seems like you know. Things are, are going out. the way, he, he seems very confident in what he's about to do. So I'm going to go with Luca Changretta because he's beginning to seek out that revenge that he's probably been, been wanting to seek out for quite some time.
0: God, I love this villain. And you guys watching for the first time, you're going to love him too, I think. And we'll talk a little bit more about him in our Grace's Secret section that has a little bit of spoilers. But let's hear your loser, Josh.
1: My loser is going to be Esme because for all this time, she has been warning John that if they don't get away soon, he's gonna fucking die, and he, and all the kids are gonna grow up without a father. They finally get away to the to to peace and solitude, away from everything, away from the madness. And the second that Michael comes to talk to John, he brings the madness with him, and John is out there and he gets fucking popped. And Esme loses John, and now Esme has to raise these children all by herself, and it's just like. She's been calling it for so long, and she's been preaching and preaching and preaching to get away from this life, to leave, and now she has to do this all alone, even though she had the foresight to get away, and I just feel so fucking bad, because she does not deserve it at all, and so that's why she's my loser.
0: It's so fucked, because they wouldn't they wouldn't have been outside if if Michael didn't go, you know what I mean? So I don't know how the Italians would have gotten to them. I mean, it would have been a fair fight, because when John walks in with all the guns, and she gets turned on, and then they have that sex, she's like calling him Father Christmas. And all that fun stuff, and so sad. Uh, it's just—it's just all everything's John's fault. It's it, it. John's the reason the Changretas are even after them, and I think that's why he felt a little bit of guilt when he first got the 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 black hand. He wasn't blaming Tommy like Esme was. So that's a good one. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go along that, and I'm gonna say that more people are collateral damage as my loser. I'm gonna say that Charlie, Billy, Carl, and John's kids are all the losers here. That's a good call, man. Like fuck, they. God. They had a year of spending so much time with their parents. And now that we're not now we're now that we're back in season, we're not gonna see them again
1: for a while. It's sad, man. These kids' kids gotta grow up without their damn father. It's like there's a lot of those kids too, man. Esme is I cannot imagine she's gonna be a happy camper raising those children.
0: All right, so then let's let's jump into Grace's secrets here. I don't wanna dive too far into the future because the season just started and there are so many things we could talk about. But what we're going to do is we're going to allow anyone that that doesn't want to be spoiled, that isn't past season four, season five, you stop. Turn it off. Quit. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next episode, 4.2, coming out soon. But for those of you that do want to you know, jump into our uh, our horse called Grace's Secret and ride through Epson, this episode we're going to talk a little bit about Luca Changreta and, and his entrance into the country and, and how everything started with him and how everything is going to finish with him. But I think it's really interesting, Josh, how when you look back on it and you see that they're pairing up with Darby Sabini and they send in this this chef, and in the next episode we see that Luca has a chance to kill Tommy and he doesn't. And they just get a little cute. I feel like everything's too cute. You know what I mean? They could have just killed Tommy using Antonio, and yet they don't, and it all comes back to bite him.
1: Yeah, but I think that like I think that that, that they're all about the big bang, you know. We like I mean, in season three we heard father can talk about it's all about the bang the changretas don't want to just like kill him and just have him dead they want it to be a big message they want tommy as we see throughout season four he wa- he wants everyone to die before tommy dies and he wants him to to, to see it and experience it so that it's it's brutal it's it's, it's literal suffering so it, it is a little cute in a way but it's also like this luca as a villain man i mean luca as a fucking villain is the scary of the scaries that we've seen other than i mean i mean oswald mosley isn't you know is is a different kind of scary but luca is like intimidating he's super confident he has that swag that we haven't seen from a lot of these villains you know he's not like he's not he's not an idiot like he's smart he's cunning he's, he's suave, you know, he's not like Billy Kimber or Sabini who are very brash and, and act out. And like the priest who like, who like is, is just annoying and obnoxious. Like Luca is very smart about how he does things. And so that's why I think he's a little cute with how he operates and how he wants to exact his revenge, because it's very diabolical and it's very thought out. And that's what separates him from other villains.
0: And then let me ask you this last question here in Grace's Secrets. I want to know what you think, the arc the same question i asked you about grace what's the arc of john if he doesn't die and he goes through season 4 and he goes through season 5 in the political side of tommy
1: it would have been so interesting to see how he like acclimate, was acclimated to everything and you know the political climate because to be honest i don't think john could give a flying fuck about politics or really cares about all these endeavors that tommy wanted to tommy wanted to get into but it would have been really interesting to see the dynamic between you know michael and gina and gina and john and like john's you know mouthing off to gina and you know john and oswald mosley would have been interesting as hell like but it's sad to see his character arc end and i don't and I, and I really think he would have he would have fit in very well with the show which makes it so much more brutal to like to, to like watch over again and really think about because i mean joe cole is such a phenomenal actor and in the the dynamic between him, Arthur, and Tommy is just impeccable, and it's palpable, and it's something that I really miss. And I really think that he could have lasted in the show. I don't know if you agree.
0: I know I agree, and and as much as I miss him, and I think he would be just a staple of this, is the exact opposite of my sentiment about Esme. I am so fine never seeing Esme again.
1: Oh, I'm so happy
0: without seeing. I hate her. She sucks. She just like she, you thought she was gonna be this like breath of like breath of fresh air in the beginning when she marries Tom and she's this pretty girl, but at the end of the day. No matter whether she was ugly or pretty, you have to realize what the roots she comes out of. And she is ungrateful, and she is spoiled, and she is greedy, and she just wants to be roaming and traveling. And so, I, I mean, I, I thought she was the black cat in season five. I was one of those people that was on that theory, and I'm totally fine. She still could be. Yeah, you're right. She could be the one that, 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 that ratted out on body gold, but I'm totally fine Um, not.
1: That is true. I never, I never even thought about that that way, like. We, we haven't seen Esme, and I'm totally fine without seeing Esme. Although, we have mentioned, like, are we going to see Esme again? Like, do you think there's a possibility of that happening? No, right? I mean, she is, like, I don't know. Maybe one day she'll come in handy. Who they might?
0: missed her their chance. Like, I thought they, they could have brought her in at the end of Season 5, and it would have been perfect yeah. to have her be the black cat. But, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about that. I want to really dive into... Uh to Aberama Gold in next in next Grace's Secret, because that's super interesting. So we'll do that in 4.2. I'm excited, Keep man. an eye out for that, that recap. We're going to be recording it soon. We're, we're just trying to rip through this season of Season 4 so that we can get it to you guys before you guys watch Season 5 on Netflix. So go like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at ByOrderOfPeaky. Send us your feedback, or send us an idea that we can be doing on Grace's Secret that you guys want to hear about a question, anything a concern, any sort of topic at B-O-O-T peakyblinders at gmail.com. Wrapping up this 4.1 recap. He's Josh, I'm Daniel, and we binge, so you don't
1: have to. On storm comes a tall,
0: handsome man in a dusty black coat with a red right hand.
1: He <laughs> 100%.